the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to welcome good friend of the show and Cincinnati Bengal media superstar, Sands. And Sands and I are going to talk about the roster, the changes, and the draft picks. What's up, guys? This is Evan McPherson, and you're listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. X's and O's with Sands. All right, I would like to introduce my next guest, and I kind of use the same joke every time when he comes on. There's a bunch of celebrities out there that go by one name. You know, you have like your Beyonce, Drake, Rihanna, LeBron, Elvis. You go to the Bengals world, and you have Boomer, and you have Icky, but we have Sands. Sands, how are you today? I'm doing great, Frank. How are you doing? All right, my friend. So I want to get right down to business, and I was thinking that we could run through the position groups on the team, and I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the changes and some of the new players. All right, so let's start off with quarterbacks. So we have Brandon Allen out, Trevor Simeon in. What are you thinking about that, and what are you thinking about these players? I think some people have overstated the importance of Trevor Simeon. You're just, either one, you're just hoping for a guy that doesn't play other than blowouts. You're, you're not hoping that either one of these guys starts a game. Do you feel better if Trevor Simeon starts than Brandon Allen? Maybe 5%, but it's the same ballpark. And maybe I'm overreading Brandon Allen as a backup, but I, I never thought he was, I don't know, terrible. He wasn't good because he was a backup, but he had that game against the Texans, that, that awesome game where he's throwing heat checks all over the field. Generally, I felt like he could come in and run the offense or run a offense. I didn't think he was like a rookie, a late round rookie quarterback level of bad. I, I thought he was competent at times. So that's where I am really with Trevor Simeon, too. I, I don't think he's going to come in and blow anybody away, but I think he will be fine, able to run an offense if he has to come in. Maybe that's better than Brandon Allen to uh, a lot of people. Either way, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm kind of just hoping he doesn't play much. I totally agree with that. The main goal is neither one of these guys see the field except for some mop-up duty. And I was never a big Brandon Allen fan. I know he did have that one big game. And Simeon is kind of in the same ballpark. I know he has 30 lifetime starts, but he hasn't quite lit up the NFL either. But there wasn't really a lot to choose from. You know, I'm thinking, like, you're not going to grab a quarterback in the first couple rounds and once you get past that, it's really a crapshoot if you're going to find anybody worth anything. You know, we can always go back to the Ryan Finley days, you know, getting a late or mid or late round quarterback. And then when you get a veteran in like that, like if you got someone like Cam Newton, I almost feel like that would be a distraction. Yeah, I don't know if it would be a distraction with Burrow. If you had a lesser quarterback, then yes, it probably would be a distraction where some people might want him to play. To me, there's three different types of backup quarterbacks. There is, and I'll do the other two that the Bengals don't have first. There's a young guy, and this guy could either be becoming a starter, like a second-round pick, or he could be a later pick that's just Ryan Finley. That's That's an idea where maybe you have something, maybe you don't. He's a young guy. You drafted him probably because you don't think your starter is going to be your starter in three years. And then you have the high-end backup, but that's also probably because you don't feel good about your starter. I think of Teddy Bridgewater types. When they go somewhere, it's usually because they have a chance of playing. 
And then the third one is basically another quarterback coach. And I think that's what Trevor Simeon is, and I think that's what Brandon Allen was, is they're really just there to help Joe Burrow's game day prep. If you really need him to, he can manage a game, manage a half of a game. That's what at least you're thinking he'll be able to do. Chiefs with Chad Henney. They had, I mean, Chad Henney's probably better than what the Bengals have had, but he was that type. You didn't want Chad Henney to start like five games in a year or something. You're probably not winning those games. He's not Patrick Mahomes, but could he come in for a half and Andy Reid designed some gimmies for him and he's able to execute those? Yeah. But what he mostly did, I think at least, and this is reading into the tea leaves a little bit that I don't know for sure. I think what he mostly did was help Patrick Mahomes on game day. Yeah, and that's what we saw to Brandon Allen. You're exactly right. It's kind of like a quarterback's coach as opposed to a real player. And I do like the breakdown of three specific types of backups, and, and that's, a, that's a pretty good analysis on that. Uh, let's move over to running back. So we have Samaj P. Ryan out, and now we have Chase Brown in. What are your thoughts on the P. Ryan departure, and what are your thoughts on this new prospect? Very different. Uh, if you want a Smaj P. Ryan type, you probably would have gone for Roshan Johnson in the draft. Slower back, great pass protector, okay receiver, powerful runner. That's P. Ryan. My actual comp for him was P. Ryan if they drafted him. I was going to uh, let that go. But uh, Chase Brown, I think, is a guy that you are hoping helps you more with creating explosive plays, taking checkdowns for big gains. He has home run speed, he's a good athlete. He reads things really well. I think there's excitement. I don't think he's a starting running back in his future. That's a little bit of he's had a huge workload already. You probably don't want to give him a huge workload at the NFL level. Also, partially, he's a little bit smaller, and I don't think he does a fantastic job of staying on his feet all the time. I think he can get tripped up. He's a guy, to me, that when he gets a runway, he is explosive if he just has to make one guy miss you know that's him i don't see him as a grinder that's gonna even though this is kind of what he did in college i don't see him at the nfl level being a grinder that can take 25 carries get you 130 yards and a touchdown you know control the pace of the game type thing i think he's a little bit a little bit boom bust at the nfl level is what i'm expecting i think it's more so you're gonna put him in there when the offense might be sputtering a little bit and you just go, we need that play. We need we need some juice in this offense right now. Mixon's probably going to be your starter. He's probably going to take up most of the snaps. But if Mixon, you know, he's getting three-yard gains, three-yard gains, two-yard gains, and you just go, we, we need something right now. We need something from the run game. We need an explosive play. The offense has stalled out. You throw him in there. Kind of like what the Cowboys would do with Tony Pollard. Pollard never really got more than 12 carries on a usual game. If Zeke was out, he'd get a ton of he'd get more carries, but typically he was around that like twelve touches range, and I think that's about as much opportunities as you're probably gonna see Chase Brown get. They're gonna be high leverage opportunities and probably plays where you're gonna design them hoping to get him a runway and maybe get a forty, fifty yard gain out of it, something really exciting, explosive. I like that analysis, and I'm almost comparing it based on what you're saying to like almost like a number six hitter in baseball. You know, you're not expecting him to have a, have a huge average and be a game breaker, but you're hoping for that occasional home run. And I know that ball security has been an issue with Chase Brown, so that's not really going to fly at this level. So hopefully that changes. I didn't think about it, but you're right. They talk about him having like two 1,000-yard seasons in college, 
and that's a lot of mileage already, and that, that's something very interesting to keep track of and, and some good insight there. Let's move over to wide receivers. So we didn't really get rid of anybody per se, but we have two new draft picks, and we have Charlie Jones, and we have Andre Yosevas. What are you feeling on these new players? And as a secondary question, are is Trenton Irwin in trouble here because he's become a fan favorite and he seemed like he had a little bit of a breakout year? So what are your thoughts on, on that group? I don't see Trent Irwin in trouble. I see Trent Taylor in trouble. But Charlie Jones, to me, even though he played outside a bit in, at Purdue, he's a slot guy. I think he gets bullied on the outside when he runs routes. He, the corners will push him to the boundary, to outside. You don't want to be within five or so yards of out of bounds because it squeezes that throw for the quarterback too much and it makes it really difficult on the receiver too to make that catch and keep your feet in bounds and that happens to him too much on the outside he has great short area quickness he's a better athlete than people think but uh i think he's taking trent taylor's job as the backup inside guy he could do some stuff outside but you're probably not planning on him doing that too often i think that's where trent Irwin excelled I don't want to put all these guys in the same bucket because Charlie Jones is six foot, 170 pounds or so. Trent Irwin's six foot three, and I think over 200. Outside guy, big target. And every play you can think of with him, basically, what? Back shoulder, on the outside, deep ball on the outside. He was on the outside making those plays, and it's just a different ball game than on the inside. And I think Jones excels inside. Irwin excels outside. He's I think you're going to have Charlie Jones as your backup inside guy, Irwin as your backup outside guy, Yoshi Voss as your wild card. <laughs> I think he has the most potential out of all these guys. Uh, he played uh, not high-level competition, six-round pick probably for a reason, but super athlete, great size, always been on size speed when you get into those later rounds. I mean, you're not going to find somebody with higher potential than that. If Troy Walters can do what Troy Walters has done the past however many years he's been here and develop him you're looking at a really really good receiver prospect yeah and i agree with you at that point in the draft you're going to take someone who's athletic and and take a chance on him and he doesn't really have the college pedigree so i guess we'll see what happens with him and and i do agree with you that trent taylor is the one on the line he's probably not going to make the squad if charlie jones proves to be functional and the return game is going to be a big factor in that but uh is, is pretty intriguing and, you know, as Bengal fans, or as any fan of any team, you know, all of your draft picks, you start fantasizing that they're going to be these great players. And, you know, you never know. I'm hoping that he pans out. Obviously, we're going to be pulling for all these guys. Let's move on to tight end. When I predicted what the Bengals were going to do in this draft, I thought they were going to take two young tight ends because there wasn't many tight ends on the roster. And Irv Smith has a little bit of an injury history. And then we end up passing on everybody. And I understand the best player available theory there. With Hurst, I, I thought that he showed that if you get Burrow a pass-catching tight end, that this team has, is even more dimensional in the passing game. So I think that's what Hurst did for the organization, is showed that, wow, this is the kind of player you want to find for Burrow. And I thought we were going to try to do that in the draft. It seems like they're settling for Irv Smith in that role, who flashes. I know he, they say he runs great routes. He's got good speed. I don't trust his size as a blocker. Wilcox is out. You know, he's not a factor anyway. That long snapping game, I still haven't quite forgave him for that. What are you thinking about this whole group? I think Irv Smith can probably give you something similar as a receiver to what Hayden Hurst did. I think it'll be different. Hayden Hurst had much better contested catchability, and he had size on his side. He, you know, he could catch the ball over people. 
Irv Smith doesn't really do that. He doesn't drop passes very often. He dropped one in a huge high leverage situation against Philadelphia. Now it feels like Minnesota fans always say, like, well, he has no hands. Well, it's not that he doesn't have hands. It's that he dropped a Monday night football pass for a touchdown in a game that got blown out. So it felt like the turning point where, like, you missed that opportunity and now there's nothing. But they do have a point is he doesn't really bring in contested balls. I think he moves well. He moves better than he tested. You're this far into your career. I don't think you use the combine and those type of numbers anymore. Just watch the film and see how he moves. And he moves better than Hurst does. It's just Hurst had the size, the ability to go up and get it over guys. The thing is, Hurst missed games last year, and the Bengals went undefeated. That's, I think, the big thing, uh, not bringing him back and not really putting too much emphasis on the tight end position, which I thought they got overdrafted other than maybe Michael Mayer, maybe Tucker Craft too. I thought they got overdrafted. When you're taking like Luke Schoonmaker in the second round, it, that, that felt early. <laughs> I think I had like a fifth-round grade on him, and Brenton Strange went in the second round, I believe. I had like a fourth-round grade on him, and the NFL liked him more than I did, at least, and more than the Bengals did. I think they would have taken a guy if he fell to them. If one of those guys fell to the third round, fourth round, they were probably interested. But with how it was going... They weren't. I think the the biggest opportunity was probably Michael Mayer at 28, but Michael Mayer wasn't even the next tight end to go. Sam Laporta went before him. And Darnell Washington had a medical red flag that I think a lot of people have talked about now with, uh, I think it's his knee, maybe it was his foot, something like that. So that's why he wasn't really in consideration. But when I look at it, I think of that period of time after the Chiefs game, before the playoffs, where Hayden Hurst missed that time and the offense still looked good. You know, Sands, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that without Hurst in the lineup, we were undefeated. I mean, we didn't lose a lot of games last year as it was, but, you know, that that's a major thing to consider, and, and the front office probably did think of that. You know, they, they probably thought Hurst set the template for getting a guy like this. This is a tight end rich draft, but when they saw a lot of these young defenders available, they probably thought it was a better option because of the, the offensive firepower of the AFC. Let's go on to offensive line. So, Obviously, we have the huge Orlando Brown signing, and I know you're an offensive line specialist, so I, I do want to hear a little bit about his game from you. But Cody Ford is a little bit of a mystery. He's been a, pretty much a journeyman, pretty much a backup. I'd like to get some insight on him, and I would also was wondering what you thought on the Jonah trade. But let, let's take it in this order. The Jonah trade demand, the skill of Brown, and your thoughts on Ford. Uh, I think Jonah just was surprised and his first reaction was I want to be a left tackle somewhere and then the NFL pulled him you're not a left tackle for us either <laughs> uh, so that was uh, I think that's why they've there's reports that they have come to more of a, an understanding was a little bit of well the other teams don't see as a left tackle either so the real chance of making money is to perform at right tackle I think he'll probably be your starter at right tackle that would be my guess but I think it's a competition. I think it's an open competition. I don't think he played well last year. I think he also played injured last year, though. I mean, dislocate your kneecap. I, uh, I'm not an expert on that, but it felt like he was rusty early, played poorly early. Don't want to just give him excuses. He also didn't play well. But it felt like right when he was turning it around, that Ravens game, I thought he played well, and then he blew his knee, and he actually played well still in the second half of that game. But then he suffered the games following it. I don't think he played well in a few of those. And then he blows out his other ones. So that's a big question mark. But I think I think it was more so he was just surprised that the team went and got a left tackle and kind of replaced him. And, and that makes sense. I, I wanted to stop you here for one second. 
I, I guess you're right because the rest of the NFL said you're not a left tackle either. So I guess his his hurt kind of was kind of went away because he realized that the Bengals weren't just profiling him. That that was the that was you know the the mark on him throughout the league. But I always thought of I when I think of right tackles, I always think of like a larger player and more of a masher and more of like a really good run blocker. You know, if you think back on our history, you know Willie Anderson. There's there's been a bunch of guys over time that that you feel like that's the prototypical right tackle. Do you feel that Jonas size might inhibit him from being the guy at right tackle? I think that used to be the thought because you want to run to the right and have your pass blocker on the blind side. But ever since you're doing, especially the Bengals, do all this gun stuff and it's so much passing, you want just your best five out there. And if he's one of your best five, then his position is probably going to be right tackle considering the open spots and the wall Collins injury. So that that's what I would expect is just, yeah, he doesn't fit the prototypical right tackle. I think some teams might have him as a guard. I actually think he'd probably struggle more at guard than he would right tackle. He played right tackle at Alabama at least, even though that was like eight years ago at this point. But yeah, when I'm looking at it, you're right in the history of the position, but I think it's changing. That history is why so many teams put their best pass rusher over the right tackle. And it, they still do because NFL teams still are putting their best pass blocker at left tackle and then letting right tackle figure itself out. So Michael Parsons, well, he runs from both sides a lot, but he'll run over the right tackle. T.J. Watt exclusively goes over the right tackle. Uh, Joey Bosa is a, more of a right tackle pass rusher than a left tackle guy. Trying to think of others. Nick Bosa, same thing. He mostly goes over the right tackle. Max Crosby over the right tackle. We think of all these guys, all the great pass rushers in the NFL. A lot of them go over the right tackle because the right tackle is kind of the weak, the weaker of the two. So I know Jonah doesn't fit the stereotypical mauler at your right tackle, pass blocker at your left tackle. But I think when you're looking at it, you're probably going to get your best five on the field. And if Collins isn't healthy, Jonah's probably one of your best five. I think you can make the case Carmen is, and that's why it's an open competition. Carmen's surprised, I think, at left tackle. Can he do it again at right tackle? Uh, Switching sides is harder than I think some people make it out to be. Uh, I always compare it to switch hitting in baseball. Some people can just do it, and some people, it's more common than switch hitting, but you know, some people just don't get it. They can't play on the other side. Like they, they just only know the one side. They can't do the other side. Is that Carmen? He played right guard, but he played it poorly. So are you looking at that? I don't know. I think that's why it's a fun competition. Cody Ford, it might be in the mix. People don't want to hear it. Hakeem Denji might be in the mix. Um, Hakeem Denji also obviously has a chance to lose his job. I think that's really what Cody Ford is. It's Cody Ford versus Hakeem Denji for the last tackle spot. And then Jackson Carmen versus Jonah Williams for the starting right tackle spot. And Law Collins will probably start on your pup list. So that's basically what I'm thinking of those positions. I think Orlando Brown is a good left tackle, but I, I'll get more into that uh, after – after uh, getting your thoughts on right tackle. Yeah, and, and that's the thing with Jackson Carmen. Like, he really flashed at left tackle. And this was, in one of my previous podcasts, I had a little bit of criticism for Coach Pollock. Now, he's known as a great coach. He's a great motivator. I like his fire. And there's some question on how he's developed guys over the years. But if you have a guy excelling on the left and really failing on the right, I mean, I know it was right guard, but he was a disaster at right guard. And at left tackle... He was more than adequate. He was our best pass blocker in the playoffs, in my opinion. So it, you're exactly right. I don't. I don't think it's that easy to just flip guys from side to side and 
And going back to the best five, is he one of the best five? Maybe, but he's one of the best five if he's on the left side. And I, I worry about just trying to cram him in on the right. I think the best role for Jackson Carmen is backing up Orlando Brown at this point. Speaking of Orlando Brown, what are your thoughts? Because he's been like the bragging rights of all Bengals fans and seems like our savior, almost like Lael Collins was last year. But I want to get your thoughts from a technical standpoint from a former offensive lineman. What are your thoughts on him? He's unique. Uh, you don't find guys with that size and length usually. The thing is, I don't think, and it doesn't matter most of the time because he's just so big, strong, and long. I don't think he's really technically sound. <laughs> he doesn't do a lot of stuff right. Wow. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter <laughs> because, you know, like, is his kick slide good? Not really. But he stays inside out. He forces guys to go around him, and he forces like if you if you're gonna want to try to beat me inside or through me, good luck. If you're gonna try to go around, I'm gonna use my length to push you outside. But you know, like Joe Williams is a better kick slide, but it, I don't think it matters. <laughs> Brown's a better player. So the, when I'm watching, I think there is a little bit of temper your expectations a tiny bit. He's not Trent Williams. He's not an elite left tackle, but he's a good left tackle, and I think it was a good signing, especially they at the market value they got him i didn't really want him at what i thought his market value was because he turned down like a 22 and 22 million dollar per year deal with the chiefs i think it was last year and then he signs for 16 million a year or whatever it was that's a steal that, that that's a great value i didn't want to sign him for like 25 million but i'll happily take him for 16 or whatever it was good player i think I think at times, you know, the Bengals community has maybe overrated him a little bit just because I, I do think against really good pass rushers, he's not going to be dominant on an island. He's not a guy I would – there's almost nobody I would, but he's not a guy I would just throw on Miles Garrett and think it's fine. Most guys are going to want to give help for that situation, but, you know, he's – I guess if you have a Trent Williams or I think highly of like a Teron Armstead or a Laramie Tunsil – those guys I'd trust more to do that. I don't really trust Orlando for that, but he's in the next tier down where you feel really good about your left tackle. Just give him help against elite guys. And, and some of it, I just can't get it out of my mind. I mean, Trey Hendrickson ate his lunch money multiple times. <laughs> or ate his lunch money. Took his lunch money. <laughs> ate his lunch. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but, you know, multiple times. Like, that was their plan in a few of those games was, you know, we're going to get Trey Hendrickson one-on-one with Orlando Brown, and he's going to win three-man pass rushes, and he was winning those. I can't get that out of my mind when I'm watching him and hearing people say, you know, elite left tackle, elite left tackle. It's like, well, an elite left tackle is probably able to handle Trey Hendrickson a little bit better. Uh, so, and uh, Trey Hendrickson is a really, really good player. I don't want to disparage that, him at all. He's a number one pass rusher and a good one at that. But it reminds me of, like, okay, you probably want to give this guy a little bit of help when he's facing those really, really good pass rushers. Because when the Chiefs didn't do that for him against the Bengals and they were able to scheme up one-on-one opportunities, Hendrickson won. And that's not not what you'd want in that situation. But all that said, I think he's a good left tackle. I think he's going to be the best run blocker they've had in that position in years. And pass blocker, I think he does a good job. I just think... There's not a ton of guys that are able to just take elite pass rushers and be on an island the entire game, but he's not going to be one of those types. He's more so, more so in your in your good, really good tier, more of a, I don't know, more of a Levi Jones and a Willie Anderson, you know, more of a, a guy that you feel good about, but you know, if he's going against Miles Garrett, if he's going against 
some of these dominant pass rushers, give him help. Just give him help. And the Chiefs were doing that in their playoff run. That's why he was really successful during that run. Yeah, I, I like what you said about his, his phys- physical stature makes up for a lot of technique. And you can see it because, I mean, what I, he's 6'8", and, you know, he's, he's huge and long, and, and I guess that factors in. And the common fan might not realize that it's, it's not phenomenal technique, but he's, he was just blessed with, with immense size and length. The, the numbers can mislead you. The stats can mislead you because if you look at his stats, it's like, oh, wow, this guy lets up basically like one sack a year. Do you attribute that to him just getting help or a little bit of luck or like why like on paper he looks like the best left tackle in football? <laughs> yeah, I and I think some of that, you know, I, he definitely is low sack numbers, but his pressure numbers have been around what Jonah Williams have been. And wow. That's that's not exciting. The difference is when Jonah loses, it's dramatic and bad and quick (laughs) when brown loses it takes time and it's just hard to run through a 360 pound guy like that it's hard to run around a 360 pound guy like that so he gives up pressure but he doesn't give up sacks and if you just don't value him allowing people to touch burrow or get close to him at all like if you just care about the sacks like yes he's one of the best in the league but i think when you consider he might make Burrow take a step up, release the ball a little bit quicker. Maybe the interior of the offensive line has to be a little bit more firm than they were uh, last season if they want him to keep not giving up sacks because he's going to run a guy around at 11 yards and the quarterback drop depth is 9 yards. So you don't want the interior letting anybody get to 6 yards or so. I'm just making all this up, but uh, those are general landmarks maybe for what you're expecting. If he's running his guy around the outside at 11 yards, well, if the interior collapses at all, say a Volson or a Karras or a Kappa give up a pressure on the inside, you can no longer back up, really. You uh, need to escape outside uh, because Orlando's going to run his guy most of the time around the back of the pocket. Yeah, it makes sense, especially with that length. Okay, you know what? Let's move on to defensive line because that was a major thing, you know, Pass rushers are so valued in this league. I always consider there's some premium positions like that you need to get in the first round. And there's examples of getting guys in the second round and later rounds that all work out. But when you think about it, you want to get a first round quarterback. You really want to get a first round corner. I know there's I know Cam Taylor Britt's an exception. You want to get a first round pass rusher. And Miles Murphy was very highly rated on the Bengals board. He's around at twenty eight. We take him at twenty eight over a bunch of guys that Bengal fans might have wanted to choose instead what is the story with miles murphy is he going to be a star for us or not there's a chance um i don't know i don't want to say definitively either way i think the first year is going to be a learning year really yeah whatever you get is going to be out of his athleticism and size but you just don't find find guys at 270 pounds that move like him very often and i think this is something that some people miss is when you're going to take a chance on a guy that hasn't produced at the college level, you do it on these size speed freaks like a Miles Murphy, who was super highly recruited as well. There's a lot of cases of a player not really producing at the college level and then coming in and becoming a star at the NFL level. Who I compared him to was uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, and I think neither one of these guys coming out of college had any idea what they were doing. And I think that's kind of Murphy. Not that he doesn't have any idea, but it's a little overstated. But he doesn't have a pass rush plan. He has one move, and he's going to have to develop his other stuff to become a great pass rusher. 
Pierre Paul developed quickly. He had 16 and a half sacks his second year, but his first year he was, I think, at three sacks or something like that. It's also similar to Rashawn Gary, similar size, speed combination. Didn't really know what he was doing early on in his career, and now he's pushing for like a 12 sack season and seems to still be ascending. This is a player you take a chance on. It, it could go wrong, but if it goes right, and I think there's a chance it goes right, you're looking at a guy that's going to push 10, 12 sacks, Pro Bowl type player. I think that's in the in the deck of cards. When I'm looking at all these past guys who have the recruiting profile, the size, and the speed combination, they go top 15, they go top 20. So him falling that far is uncharacteristic. And you think he fell that far because of the rawness, the one move, and the lack of production compared to some of the other highly rated college pass rushers? Is, is that what you attribute it to? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, they usually don't go in the top five. I think Brad Chubb, Bradley Chubb, was a guy he produced at the college level, though, that had that profile and went really, really early. But I don't think he had too much of an idea of what he's doing. He's just winning on size speed at the college level, and that showed early on in his career. But yeah, I, I think it's just the production and I think luck a little bit, where some teams just didn't want that anymore, and some t- some teams are not as into the size as they used to be at the NFL level. I like your reference to Chubb and Rashawn Gary because Rashawn Gary is one of those players that was kind of invisible his first year or two and has really come on since. So hopefully we get the same out of Miles Murphy or maybe even a quicker start. And it's going to be nice for him to be learning under Hendrickson and Hubbard, two veterans. At least that that's a good, supportive, knowledgeable room for him to be in. So that could help with his development. The, the other defensive lineman we brought in, and it's more of an afterthought, and I hate to call any player that, but what, what are you feeling about Terrell Basham? I know he's been on, on a bunch of teams, a journeyman. Journeyman, um, I think he has to fight for a job now because of the Murphy pick. I think it'll be interesting to see, interesting to see if he can push somebody out and make the team or if they're going to keep however many defensive linemen. I don't have too many thoughts on him, uh, but I think he's a back-of-the-rotation type guy. Yeah, and you have Gunter and Sample in there, and they've kind of been put on the back burner now that we have, and of course Osai. All right, let's move on to linebacker. So there's really nothing to talk about at linebacker. No changes there. I'm happy with everyone there. I mean, what are you thinking? Like, can you believe the development of Pratt and Wilson? I mean, both of those guys as first-year players I thought were pretty middle of the road, and they both developed into some really good players for us. Yeah, it's awesome. So I guess why you take an athlete at the position and you just let them develop. Um, it's also, I guess, why you don't really draft first-round linebackers because these guys are both third-round picks, I believe, and both turned out really, really good. The Pratt deal was a steal, too. I thought he was supposed to go for well over what he got. Linebacker might be one of those positions where you need a couple years to settle into it because, you know, you're you know, you're kind of quarterbacking the defense in a way. I know that, you know, you talk about the safety doing that, but the linebackers right in the middle of the action. There's a lot of reads. Are you, do you back that theory that, that those young linebackers often have a hard time breaking out and it takes a couple of years to really get that position down? Yeah, definitely. I think that's, you see that across the league. It's, it's rare when a linebacker comes in and it's just an all-star year one at the off ball linebacker position. Yeah. You never see it unless they're like a pass rushing linebacker. Then you might, maybe you see some guys, you know, with a few unique moves and some youthful speed, you know, like bust out, like Micah Parsons, I guess you want to call him a linebacker or defensive end, whatever you want to call him. All right, let's move on to defensive back because there was a lot of movement there. So we have Eli Apple, honestly, one of my favorites. I thought that he really held up on his side for two big runs, two seasons in a row. 
you know, he has that stigma about him as a first-round bust. No one ever seemed to forgive him. You know, some guys just have that reputation. No matter how well they play, no one really respects them. And I, and I feel that was the case with Eli Apple. He's a New Jersey guy. Maybe I'm a little bit biased in that way. I met him. He was very cool. Maybe I'm biased in that way. But I thought he did a really good job for us. I really wanted them to bring him back. With what they did in the draft and, you know, the word on the street, I don't think they're bringing him back. I want to get your thoughts on that in one sec. Trey Flowers followed Jesse Bates down to, down to the Falcons. I liked him, too, as a niche player. You know, you get him for like a million a year and put him on tight ends. He seemed to do a good job against Kelsey. That's what we all notice. I don't know really what he did against the rest of the league because the Kelsey matchup was always really magnified. But before we get into the three new guys that we brought in, what are your thoughts on Apple, Flowers, and the guys that are probably not coming back? Yeah, it's unfortunate. I thought they both uh, played well. And I agree with you that I think Apple just has the stigma about him. I before they saw, I think Sidney Jones is just the new Eli Apple is is what they did. And whether or not I agree with that, I don't know. But um, I do think that a lot of the parallels are there. Former first-round bust, a little bit less for him. He was taken on – I think he was a second-round guy, actually, and taken later. Um but, you know, hasn't lived up to what he was supposed to be pre-draft and signs with the Bengals, not supposed to start. But if he sees some action, maybe you, maybe you can get a similar player out of him. I don't know. I, I think Apple was on his way out of the league when he signed with the Bengals. He's played one game, I believe, with the Panthers. I'll remember that. I remember with the Saints where he was like a fringe starter. But then he had another year after that with the Panthers, and he barely played. It seemed like that might have been the end of his career. And then he gets revived a little bit with the Bengals as a – pretty solid starting level corner i kind of wish they kept him but i don't think they're going to do it but i also think that you spend a second round pick on dj turner and i think eli apple probably wouldn't have been the fourth corner i think it probably would have been dj turner instead because you want to get to the youth yeah it's a good point I, i mean in defense of apple just to circle back one last time i mean if you think about it he played what 30s he, he played in, in like 30-something wins for the – or he had 30-something starts for the Bengals on two very big winning seasons. So to think that Sidney Jones, who, you know, kind of was in the starting lineup and bounced out, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm worried that he's going to be the replacement for him. But I do understand your point about them getting a, a second-round pick in Turner and wanting to mold him into that role. So what are your thoughts technically on Turner and DJ Ivey, the two draft picks? I don't really know much about Ivy, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't think anyone pick. does, really. I think he's a special <laughs> teamer. I think he's just going to be, if, if he makes a team, it's probably special team for all. Um, with Turner, I think he is the prototype for cornerback movement. 4-2-6 speed, silky smooth hips, can change direction really well. That is what you sell yourself on. I think he does some stuff really well, and I think there's some stuff that needs work. And the stuff he does really well, I think he does a good job pressed up at the line and not really getting physical, just matching the receiver. He reminds me on the high end of a Jonathan Joseph type where just the movement ability is just different. You know, he just moves so fast and so smoothly that it doesn't matter that he's smaller. He plays on, he's an outside corner and Lou and rumors actually said the same thing where he's an outside guy. He's not a nickel. Uh, that's what I see with Turner. I think what needs the most improvement is his weight. I think he's just slender, <laughs> and it shows up at times. 
So that's that's a quick breakdown on DJ Turner. I think it was a good pick, though. I, I don't think you find guys that move like that and have at least stuff they do well technically that late in the draft, typically. Yeah, would you consider that almost like a Sauce Gardner comparison? I know not the same level of player, but a player who's, you know, for lack of a better word, a little frail on the outside. You worry about him in the run game, but can still tackle and but has has the hip movement and the change of direction and the speed. I mean, what do you think of that comparison? I think the main difference you're seeing there is Sauce is taller and Sauce is longer. And uh, he uses his length really well. Sauce has a little bit better size and especially the length. The length shows up with Turner sometimes too, where he can't use certain techniques to jam because his arms are too short. He likes to go with a one-arm stab where he turns his shoulders and becomes longer. And he likes to just mirror the release and maybe hit a guy after they release. Where Sauce can really just get into a receiver and just jam the crap out of them, do whatever he wants with them. And the other thing is that sometimes Turner will go for a pass breakup and his arm is just a little bit shorter than it, like two inches or another inch on his arm length. He'd be able to get it, get the ball, but a perfect throw can beat him right now. Interesting. And and on paper, you know, I haven't really seen much of him play, but when you see 6-1, you're thinking, oh, he's a long corner. But I get, I guess you know better that it, that he's, he's arm length isn't as long as his 6-1 frame, I gather. Yep, yep. It's actually, uh, I think I think he had 30-inch arms. It's in like the 30th percentile, where Sauce had like super long arms. I wonder if that's why he dropped into the second round, having that 4-2-6 speed as well. One thing also that I that I had read on Turner is he's really, really good in zone coverage. Now, you would know better on this than I. What, what percentage of the Bengals, what percentage of the time are the Bengals' corners expected to play zone versus man? Yeah, I think it's important because they play the same style of zone at Michigan uh, where they get eyes on the quarterback type zone rather than eyes on the receivers is the easiest way to put zone match versus spot drop and whatever else. Um, I think it's important. I think he's good in that area. I think he closes well. He does a good job of pointing things and you know keeping his eyes on the quarterback, breaking all of those things you're looking for in zone coverage. Bengals probably 65-35 zone demand. They play more zone than man for sure. And but in the NFL, you have to play man coverage at some point, and at some point is usually like third and one situations, high leverage. We can't, you know, just give something up underneath within five yards. We have to actually man up here and stop everything. Love the take on that. Love the breakdown. All right, so let's move on to the safety position. So obviously, we knew Jesse Bates was on his way out. Von Bell was a big surprise, and now we're going to supplant them with Dax Hill, Nick Scott. Jordan Battle, you know, Hill was underutilized last year. I know he has all the physical tools. I think they should have used him more to kind of break him into this role. Nick Scott, we don't really know about. Jordan Battle comes in. A lot of people are high on him, but he's running a 4-5-5. What are your thoughts on that trio versus Bates and Bell? I mean, any way you look at it, it's most likely going to be a downgrade, but that's because I think the Bengals had a top three safety duo the past couple of years. So... Can they play at an average level? Can they play at an above-average level? That's what you're hoping for is probably an above-average level, especially later in the season. You're going to hope that the communication is okay between the two safeties. I think it's going to be Scott and Hill. I would be surprised if Hill is not the starter. I wouldn't be shocked if Battle can beat out Scott, but I like Scott. I think Scott I think Scott plays – You know, he can play in this league. I think he's shown it 
in Los Angeles. I thought he was the better safety between him and Rap when I was watching them. He did the more difficult coverage stuff to me. They let him play deep more often. And I think that's what you want when you're trying to maximize Dax Hill is a guy that's going to take that deep role and let Hill move around to be the versatile chess piece along the defense. So that's what I'm expecting. I think Battle can do that a little bit too. I think Battle moves better than Henry Tested. I think he's just really confident and knows what he's doing and a really smart player. It does remind me a little bit of Jesse Bates who didn't really test that well as a mover. And then he ran a four five, but he ran fast. But like on the field, he's faster than four five because he's smart. He reads things out before, you know, he reads things out quickly. He reads things out and he's on something before it even gets there. That's kind of what I see with Battle, but to a little bit lesser degree. But he's also bigger than Bates. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I think it's gonna be Scott and Hill, especially early in the year. And Battle gets on the field for the odd three safety set, or maybe he could do a little bit of that Trey Flowers thing with his size. That's how I think Battle's going to make his hey this year, and then he's the starter next year. Hey, you know, a good observation there. And I didn't realize that Bates ran a 4-5 coming out of college, and he definitely played faster on the field. And you're right, a lot of it is football instinct. It's not just your 40 time. You know, it's this isn't the Olympics. This is a football game. And, uh, you know, Battle might come into play in those three safety sets. We didn't run him as much last year, I think, as we did the year before. But you do see a lot of times there's one linebacker on the field and three safeties. So, you know, if if everyone pans out the way we want, then we have three guys for, for that kind of uh, a defensive scheme. It'll be interesting to see what Tyson Anderson can do as another safety in the rotation during the preseason. Can he solidify that he's one of these safeties that's going to be on the team? Or is he maybe on the outside looking in? I don't know. I think that's one of the interesting things to watch is the vets versus the young guys there. And who can win one of some of those last spots? Yeah, and I think Tyson Anderson is a candidate for the practice squad, unfortunately. Like, his rookie year was kind of blown away, blown out by a core injury. And a lot of his college t- – I know the Bengals traded up to get him, but some of the stuff he did in college wasn't that impressive. So although he, he seems to be a big hitter and an aggressive guy, I, I wasn't that crazy about getting him in the lineup. Mike Thomas, they love him as a leader in that locker room. And it's going to be very interesting. There's there's Although safety seems to be a place that was downgraded in the offseason, there's a lot of guys to choose from there. So speaking of special teams, last topic for today, Drew Christman, he's got a big leg, but his hang time really suffered. And we did see that on multiple occasions last year. They bring in Brad Robbins, and he's supposed to be a hang time specialist. I know, you know, kickers and punters, I, they're part of the team, but, you know, we like to talk about the other positions. But do you have any thoughts on, on bringing this punter in for some competition? Yeah, I I think he's going to win the job. I, I just, I think what you think of the OSI play is what I think of that punt. It's just he outkicked his coverage. He went right down the middle. I know the punt went 50, 52 yards, but it was three seconds of hang time right down the middle. There was no chance his guys were getting there. So he outkicked his coverage, allowed the big return, and gave them an opportunity. That's a better punt if it's 40, 45 yards into the sideline or fair caught with good hang time. It's just for whatever reason, Drew Christman can't get the hang time on the punt. And at the NFL level, it's important because these return guys are deadly. And he's not a good directional guy. He can boom the ball. There's no denying that. It's just, that only takes you so far. When you're giving a playmaker an opportunity to change the game, 
that's something you can't afford, especially in those types of games. And you were watching Tommy Townsend for the Chiefs. He had a great punting day. I thought it was just so obvious who had the real punting advantage. And I, who knows how much that really plays into it. But I do think that last punt was more important than the Osai because the Osai play, it ends up not factoring too much if the punt was good. It's because that punt got returned for, what, 35 yards? It ended up being like a net of, I think, 15 yards on a 50-yard punt. You can't have that. Kadarius Tony, that's going to be a nightmare forever. And then the Eagles did it too. You're <laughs> Super right. Super Bowl, they kicked it right to him and right down the middle. No hang time. You're you're exactly right. And I, I know you're more of a, an offensive and defensive specialist, but how do you have a huge leg like Chrisman and you don't have hang time? Is there something technical there, or or is it just some people have it, some people don't? I have no idea. I assume some people have it, some don't. Um, <laughs> probably the angle you're kicking it, or maybe your time. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I've never punted other than just in the backyard. And we have no desire to follow punters. The other positions are much more fun and in- integral, but unfortunately in this case, what what a parallel. Wow. So we have Jeremy Hill, Joseph Osai, and Drew Chrisman that are going to live in infamy, I guess. I think Joseph Osai has a better chance to redeem himself because I, I just, you spend a pick on a punter, I think that guy's making the team. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And you're right, Osai does have a chance to redeem himself. And Bengal fans, aside from myself, were much less harsh on him than the other two guys, so that, that does make sense. Sands, this was so much fun. I missed you so much. It was so great having you back on the show, my friend. Oh, I, was glad, I was glad to come on. So I know you're up to a lot these days. I've been following closely, and I'm so proud of what you're doing. And before you know it, you're going to be replacing Dan Horde. Well, actually, you're going to be more of a Lapham guy than Horde. <laughs> hey, maybe down the road I could be the Horde, you could be the Lapham, but if they hear that, then they'll bury me, so... I never said that out loud. But any, anyway, uh, what are you up to now? How could people find you? What What would you like to uh, let people know that you're doing? Yeah, Twitter on, at Bengal underscore Sands. I'm going to promote everything. But if you don't have Twitter, check out my articles on Sports Illustrated's All Bengals. And uh, check out my podcast. It's always game day in Cincinnati. That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.